Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your boy, Matt St. Jack. Whether you're an avid anime fan, a wee tadpole still finding your way, or anywhere in between, I'll be providing my opinions and insights on anime old and new. Think Yelp with help from friends and producers from other shows weighing in. I know you can't wait to hear, and I can't wait to tell, so let's get to it. This is Matt St. Jack with Anime Talk. Let's go. Tonight on a very special director's cut, we are reviewing RoboDoc, a docu-series that looks into the making of the classic 80s sci-fi flick RoboCop. So stick around, everybody. The show starts right now. Welcome to a very special Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And we are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And this is something that's a little different than what we're normally used to here on both Collateral Cinema and the Director's Cut. We are actually examining a docuseries that is currently streaming right now on Screenbox, so if you don't have that app, go check them out and, uh, you know, start a trial or whatever and, uh, you know, just give them, uh, give, give them a download and everything. And we are checking out RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop. Um, <laughs> actually, Ash, uh, the uh, producers of uh, this docuseries uh, hit us up uh, early on before it even uh, debuted. So, yeah. You That's were telling cool, us right? about it. Yeah, and in fact, we had uh, exclusive access to uh, the episodes, you know, with the password and everything. So um, that was actually pretty cool getting to, like, watch those. Um, it, it took a little while for us to be able to find some time to, like, get together and talk about it. But um, here we are. Uh, actually, I haven't seen RoboCop in years, so this was uh, this was me viewing the film again, not really remembering any of it, um, so which, which was nice. So I, I got to watch through, you know, Robocop again, and then I watched the documentary. Yeah, I happen to have uh, the uh, original X-rated version of Robocop on uh, Criterion. I, I bought it uh, quite a few years ago. So this was actually a good excuse to come back and check that out. I mean, the original yeah. RoboCop, I mean, what what else is there really to say about this movie? I mean, it's sci-fi, comedy, action, body horror goodness, right? Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. I love how... Um I love the like elements of like splatter in the movie because you know it, it's pretty like cartoonishly violent, 
Uh, and, and so like the whole movie is just a lot of fun and it's just also excellently written and directed and actually getting to see like behind the scenes how that all came together was uh, an enlightening experience. But um, in regards to the film itself, you know, it's just a total classic. And I haven't seen any of the sequels. I watched the reboot when it came out. I don't r really remember all of it either. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just became like a whole phenomenon. And, uh, you know, that just owes to the, uh, the manner in which this movie was made um, and just uh, the performances by uh, Peter Weller and, and, and the others, you know. It's it's a lot. It of has fun, quite po It has quite possibly one of the greatest uh, ensemble casts of any movie ever. I mean, you got Peter Weller, you got uh, you got uh, Nancy. What was her name? Nancy Allen. You have her as uh, Lewis, uh, oh. and then you have like the you have the Boddicker gang. You know, like Kurtwood Smith, Jesse Goins. Uh, Calvin Young, Paul McCrane, and Ray Vise. I mean, those guys are, like, larger than life by this point. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And then also, also, just everybody else that uh, really could just contributes their own little uh, part of themselves to this movie. And this documentary, the, the, the way that they go about it, it really just shows that Almost every member of this cast has a, an iconic scene or moment or saying in this movie. I mean, almost everybody in this movie says that just throughout their daily lives, they still have to this day people recognizing them and quoting their uh, their lines from the movie. Like every everyone from uh, like certain members in the boardroom to even the uh, creeps that uh, tried to. Uh, assault that one woman with the curly hair. And even she is interviewed in this movie. Like pretty much everybody that in the cast and crew that is, uh, that was still available or alive today, they, they got everybody here. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I was actually surprised how many people they got involved in the documentary. Um, it was uh, like, like, and just people that even admitted, like, I didn't like that guy. We had issues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, totally. Just kind of like, all sitting together, you know, and talking about this. Exactly. I mean, especially, you know, how they actually went about their own little contributions to this movie, like, and, and how they've actually, you know, handled uh, their role, like, in the aftermath and, and whatnot, you know? Like e even the lady, yeah. the ladies that play those two models, you know, the, the bitches leave models. Like e e even they were just like, you know, yeah. we're still recognized to this day. You know, it's like, I mean, and they're like, I mean, one of them is just like, I don't think that we were call girls. It's like, I believe we were models, but, you know, we're just kind of coded. Our characters were coded that way, maybe. But yeah, it's, it's just really, really fun to see everybody just go into their roles here and how much it meant to them you know how how much passion they put into their performances like just all the way down to the smallest role i mean everybody in this movie just gave their all they they, they gave just top-notch performances that to this day are quotable in this documentary series it really just puts the focus on all of that yeah yeah it it, it does 
Um, and, and, yeah, like just how like every person played a part in making this movie uh, and just kind of going down and, you know, how this movie was made. I mean, essentially they wanted to make like a comic book movie, right? So, and, and then that's very much what it feels like. Um, and, and even... Well, uh, specific specifically they really got into the judge dread comic books. yeah like yeah that's kind of uh, it's pretty much judge dread and blade runner that kind of laid the groundwork for what would become robocop yeah definitely um and like you know you can definitely like see you know the resemblance you can see the similarities here and yet robocop has its own identity it has its own influence on pop culture um and so it, it was really interesting, you know, even going back into like the first episode where, you know, they just see how this movie started being made and, you know, what they had to do, having to get the investments in order to start and, um, you know, basically what they had to do to try to stay in budget. Um, I noticed that there are, you know, uh, a, a, a very efficient use of practical effects. I mean, they were actually straight up firing the guns, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they they went all out on all the practical effects. Like, I mean, I mean, no other uh, scene in this documentary and in the original movie uh, says that better than Murphy's death. I mean, like they went all out there. I mean, they went. I mean, that's kind of what Paul Verhoeven just loves to do is go all out when it comes to violence. He's just like, more blood, more fucking blood. Like, I need it bigger and better. And it's, yes. it, it was just to the point where, like, I mean, Kurt Wood Smith was just like, there's, there was just blood all over the place. It looked like a goddamn slaughterhouse by the time we were done there. And, <laughs> and, I mean, and they, they kept excess, retaking it. You know, it, it, that, that, that. They, yeah, they had to keep retaking it too. Exactly, just to get it just more and over more and over bloodier. Verhoeven's like more blood. P Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven is his own character, actually. Like I just, I just love his personality, uh, and just like how like extreme he is on the director, even at the you know. Uh, Cost of tension among the uh, the uh, the crew. <laughs> you can see he's just had a very particular way. Oh, Him and he, Peter he Weller. was. Yeah. yeah, he he was. Yeah, he was just like this crew. They're conspiring against me to fuck up my movie. It's just like <laughs> holy shit, man. It's like, I mean, he he had very specific opinions about uh, about American movie crews. You know, basically they're all high and mighty and just like, oh, this dude's gonna make a movie. Well, we're gonna show you how to make a Hollywood movie. And you know, Verhoeven was not about that. He was about making his movie. You know, taking this script and making it his. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and then that's, I think, really what this movie owes its success to was that it was, you know, the writers had their own concept and basically, you know, wrote the entire script for the film. But it was, you know, Verhoeven that really kind of put it together, took that concept and um, and really made it his own. And, and just, you know, it's actually, in a sense, it's the collaborative effort as a movie should be. Absolutely. It's a great collaboration, too. You have, uh, you know, the producers, John Davison, uh, 
Yeah, Ed Newmeyer and uh, Mark Miner, they're the ones who actually uh, brought their uh, their original ideas together to make RoboCop. I mean, Ed Newmeyer, I mean, he was actually on the set of Blade Runner as that was being shot and um he he basically got the idea of doing a movie about a robot from uh, you know looking at Sean Young, you know when everybody says like, "Oh, that's the robot in this movie." He's just like, "Wait, that's that's not a robot. That's just a woman." It's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you know? But, I mean, he really, like, him and Mark Miner, they brought together their ideas and they made, they they were just like, look, we want this to be not unlike any other movie robot ever seen. You know, they even give examples in the documentary of, you know, other robots like Tabor or, you know, Forbidden Planet and whatnot. And he he was just like, no, this one needs to be sexier. It needs to be able to be an action star, you know? But I mean, also, also, still carry uh, Paul Verhoeven's themes, you know. I mean, of course, I mean, infamously, Paul Verhoeven loves uh, Christ imagery. He's big on that, al- almost even more so than like Zack Snyder. <laughs> but he, I mean, he really uh, saw that in uh, RoboCop's character by reading the script. Actually, I think it was his wife at the time that uh, got him to reread RoboCop, being like, no, 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 this is actually right up your alley. It's like, you want to do bloody shit like this. So, (laughs) I mean, yeah, Verhoeven's uh, mark is all over this movie, and he he is like one of the more entertaining parts of the docuseries. Definitely. Um, uh, Yeah, I I definitely like felt like his energy was... You know, just like it, it kind of felt like he was a character of the film in a way, you know, like kind of looking back on it. And I mean, yeah, I mean, his presence is definitely like felt throughout both the, the docuseries and in, in, in retrospect, the film itself, which is nice. Um, and then just kind of getting introduced to the personalities behind, you know, some of the characters like um, uh, uh, Dick Jones uh, who was played by uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Cox. Cox. Yeah, yeah, he he was great, man. I mean, he was just like, I, he was just like, you know, I used to play really soft roles, but this time around I played something a little more, you know, villainous. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, he really filled in the role of, uh, of Dick Jones, like, perfectly and everything. But also Miguel Ferrer, who unfortunately... Yeah, I mean... This, but, yeah. It was not in this documentary. Uh-huh. I, I'm not sure if he is uh, no longer with us or if he was just unable to make it. But, yeah, he he was great in his role as well. And he really played well off of Ronnie Cox. Yeah, yeah, he did. He played, like, you know, kind of, like, he's again, like, just like you said, you know, just played off of him with, you know, Dick Jones just being kind of, like, the bigger uh, dominant presence and, and, and again i think ronnie cox actually fills in very well as a villain for something that apparently he hadn't really done before or at least not as yeah. extensively yeah definitely um, and and uh even uh they uh they bring up uh nancy allen you know and, and she comes in and i mean she's throughout the whole series but um I like seeing like her take and uh, just kind of like how um, 
I don't know. I'm really high. Basic, <laughs> ba- basically, basically, just how she approached her character and everything, and how yes, you know her her previous experiences growing up with a uh, dad who was a cop, you know, really informed how she uh, approached, especially like the character's relationship with Murphy and everything, and even her relationship with Peter Weller. You know who who himself is a, is an indomitable force throughout the movie and throughout this uh, documentary series. He's he's very entertaining throughout he, here. Oh yeah, and uh, I was actually uh, I, I was uh, interested to hear. I think it was towards the end actually uh, of, of the series where they at some point they had tossed around the idea of. Uh, Lewis and Murphy actually having like an on-screen romantic relationship. And I'm really glad that they didn't do that because I love the dynamic between the characters in the movie as it is. And ultimately I think, you know, in the documentary, they said the same thing that the end result was actually like the best way to go about that, especially during this time in Hollywood. I mean, you know, romantic relationships are almost, you know, expected. And here we just have a strong uh, character dynamic between the two. Uh, and I think, you know, y- you really even kind of get some of that chemistry from the actors themselves, you know, between Peter Weller and Nancy Allen, because, you know, throughout the docu series, it kind of seems like they were able to kind of work playfully with each other. In fact, like everybody kind of, you know, there was seemed to be kind of like a lighter atmosphere at times at times right <laughs> During the yeah at times the i mean there, there was a lot of struggles throughout the production of this film and lots of tension especially between uh i, I believe it was uh verhoven and his assistant producer or one of the uh, maybe even mark minor one of the writers he he got yeah. kind of tired of him i mean yeah there was a lot of big personalities conflicting with each other here but you know, that conflict still made for some really amazing scenes and some amazing performances. You know? Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and it really comes out, you know, and I feel like these actors really kind of had chemistry with each other. Um, and, and I think one of the interesting tidbits I heard about was that Peter Weller, like infamously, while he was in the suit, he was Robo. You know, he was, he was not Peter Weller. He, you know, he was he was RoboCop, and everybody called him Robo on set because you know that yeah. was just part of him, like going into character. And apparently, he was very serious about it. <laughs> so serious that the uh, the actual weapons coordinator of the movie he uh, he was instructed to give him Oreos, Robo's, and, but yes. he didn't give uh, Weller his Oreos, so he's just like, Robo wants an Oreo, and he's just like, you're not getting your fucking Oreo. <laughs> like he, he even uh, just stuffed his uh, face with the uh, with the Oreos just to just to spite him. It's like it, it's a great little uh, it's a great little story. It is honestly definitely, yeah. But also, also this movie goes into other facets of uh, filmmaking such as sound design and special effects. Like, like for instance, they showed how uh, Ed Two Hundred Nine was created and how it was uh, it was animated by none other than the legendary Phil Tippett. And yeah. it was really fascinating to show how they designed him, like, honestly, kind of off of uh, Macross and Robotech, kind of. Yeah. It, it, it has a little bit of an anime vibe to it. And they kind of purposely uh, designed it that way. And also going into, like, the sound design of how uh, all the different uh, sounds that were used for both Robo and uh, Ed 209. It was actually really fascinating to 
hear how they just combine different uh, noises and different uh, type of synthesizer. Oh uh, yeah, just for like ads and everything. Like getting him to like walk around in the suit and, and yeah, exactly. things like that. Like every like sound does, you know, they had, there was thought put into the sound design and they had to, um, you know, kind of use just uh, objects to kind of simulate those sounds, especially because well, we're that, working with a lot is- of futuristic technology. Well, yeah, I mean, that's very common with movies. That's, that's Foley and everything. Right. Uh, but, but they were showing how that Foley worked and also how uh, certain, other, uh, certain other sounds were, or were used to, uh, to create just the personality of this, uh, of this movie, especially when it came to, like, certain type of synthesizer drones that were kind of used to convey, like, certain emotional states that uh, Murphy slash Robo was actually in throughout the movie. It, it was that was really cool, and also, also how those synths were used to kind of sweeten up the Ed Two Hundred Nine sound design and whatnot. It was that was fascinating, especially on my end, you know, because I mean I have uh, experience with audio engineering and sound engineering and whatnot, and some sound design, so I'm familiar with that. Uh-huh. And it was it was really fascinating to see how they would intersperse and they would just be like, well. You know, we use the analog synth to create just kind of little undercurrents to kind of uh, make uh, Robo's uh, steps more impactful in everything. That was fascinating in its own right to me. I was uh, reading a lot of comic books for for a studio. They they came to me one day and said, Ed, read these comic books. He's sort of a modern neurotic superhero. Even though he had all these powers, there was like something going on inside. So he was sort of like a superhero with a headache. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. A lot of directors wouldn't even look at it. In fact, I read 20, 30 pages and showed us absolutely ridiculous. We spent at least a million dollars on this suit. The suit doesn't work! Peter Weller couldn't walk in it. Murphy. She's a really heroic, strong woman. I identified with her because I'm very, very independent. We had a lot of laughs. We joked around a lot. We were like little kids playing in a sandbox. We would steal the golf carts from the ADs, you know, because they had to drive around this thing. (laughs) Fall didn't particularly enjoy that part. Paul's nuts. You go like this and you shoot. (laughs) But he's inspiring, man. I don't think anybody would tell you they had a good time on that picture. I think the Robocop is the best movie I made. There's nothing like Robocop. I mean, there isn't. The thing that has sustained it, I think, through the years is the fact that there is a heart and soul to it. In the time since that film has come out, it's grown a massive following. I am proud to have been part of it. And it is unique, and that's why it lives. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was it was incredibly fascinating. Just, you know, like the, all the tricks that they used to kind of make this movie come to life, you know? Um, and, and it even, you know, like, for instance, the, the Ed 209 uh, robot, like you were talking about, just like how they, they uh, built those scenes just all with practical effects. I mean, and you, you can kind of see whenever you watch the movie, it's, it's got that like cheesy, like stop motion uh, animation feel to it. <laughs> I don't think, it's, hey, you take that back. Phil Tibbetts' work is not cheesy. I mean, maybe the uh, falling uh, Dick Jones at the end is a little uh, badly done, but that wasn't done by Phil Tibbetts. That was, that was done by the Matt artist. The, the, and if you know what mats are, they were 
basically paintings made to kind of convey a, uh, a background or a different uh, addition to a building or something in a movie. It's kind of something that's fallen out of style, but uh, basically, like, yeah, Phil Tippett. I mean, he's a legend when it comes to... Oh, yeah, to, no, I mean, it's uh, it's brilliant. I love yeah. it. Like, the whole, like, aesthetic. Um, yeah. I, I just wouldn't call it... I just wouldn't call it cheesy. Okay. You know, that, that's Phil Tippett. You know. Fair enough, but like I don't know, it, it it does have this this sort of vibe to it, and I'm here for it. Um, you know, and like again, just like everything that they did, you know, to kind of to kind of bring this movie together in a time before you know we had the luxury of special effects. Um, or even like the seed where the uh, Ed 209 is like trying to come down the stairs. They were talking about that. <laughs> yeah, they literally made a uh, miniature uh, set of a uh, lo- actual location in Dallas where they yeah. they mostly filmed this in Dallas and also in Philadelphia mostly. And and they uh, they actually made a small location and they uh, they even just physically pushed their ro- their uh, puppet down the stairs and everything and recorded that. Yep. They also talked about the sound design for uh, Ed 209 being disabled, being slaughtered pigs, which gave me a sad as a vegan. But it's <laughs> I like, bet it ties, Bo. Yeah. But, you know, it's sound design, you know. It's like you, you layer sounds to make something new. Whatever, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they but- used real explosions. Uh, both at the, the gas station scene and uh, at, uh, at the end of the film. Uh, and I remember that, like, the police got involved a few times. Oh, yeah. They, they came in and they were just like, what the hell are y'all doing here? It's like, <laughs> why are there explosions? Like, and they're, they're like, oh, we're making a movie. Like, can you imagine Paul Verhoeven having to explain shit to the fucking cops? <laughs> yes. That, that crazy-ass crazy Dutchman trying to fucking talk to the cops in America? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. The idea of it is hilarious. It really, it really is, man. Um, yeah, and then like I think that the, the the scene at the end, like they did the whole thing, and then the uh, the no, it was it was a different scene that I'm thinking of, but they they ended up having to like explain themselves, you know, and say, okay, this is the last time this is gonna happen. We've already done it. And then they decided to do another retake. <laughs> and I don't remember also, if that was Verhoeven also, that, that was that uh, requested that or, or was big on it or somebody else. I, I, I'm not really sure, but I also know that uh, in the uh, scene at the on the uh, street where uh, the Boddicker gang are just using those guns and just blowing shit up. I mean, yeah. they, they were talking about how, you know, Kurtwood and uh, Ray Wise, they were like, hey, we got stunt, extra stunt pay for that because, you know, we literally had, like, shards of glass flying past us and shit. Like, it's just like, what are y'all trying to do to us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and the scene at the end where, like, it, where, uh, you know, with the building and everything, they, uh, I know, like, they... They wanted to, to to do it again, but like there was a point where they just couldn't, you know, like the like the cops were ready to like arrest them. So it's like, all right, well we'll just go yeah. in and post and make the explosion a little bigger. But <laughs> 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 but they they literally got to a point where they, they they couldn't do another retake. Like it was too it was too extreme. Like and I I love it. This movie is just so balls. It was very ballsy, like also in the way that it used a point of view shots or the robo vision as it oh, was. Yeah. And 
You know, like that was uh, innovative in its own way. And it actually kind of led to what we see in a lot of video games nowadays. And I think that one of the uh, one of the actresses pointed that out. It's like, yeah, you see that in gaming now. So, yeah, I mean, well, which, that, by the actually, way, I think there's a, a RoboCop game coming out. Oh, there is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's a uh, RoboCop uh, first-person shooter coming out now. Of course, yeah. there's the original Data East arcade game, which I'm just like, fuck yeah, man! I I go back on my PS Classic and play that because that game is awesome. But yeah, I mean that, and, and is it, it's based on the original uh, on the original movie and everything. So the new game, I think, is a new story. Yeah. That's in the universe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So, but cool. probably, so, 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 if I had to guess, it's set in the timeline of the original RoboCop. Yeah, I was about to say, so it's going to have that little throwback vibe to it, which, I mean, is kind of big in the games now. I mean, you see, like, the Evil Dead game and the recent uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre game and whatnot. Is it, isn't it's there like, a requel in, in development? I hope not. Like that just take, I think there's something that that just takes place after the first film that they're that they're I, actually I don't, producing. I don't know, and I don't know if I want that because I mean, we, look, we already got two sequels that weren't that great. It's like why why, why bother? It's like, God damn it, Halloween caused it. Halloween 2018 caused this shit. That that's what they caused. <laughs> they caused this nonsense. Fucking uh, rules. God damn it. That's that's true. I don't know. It it just depends on how well it's done and you know, uh how much uh Paul Verhoeven is involved. <laughs> but all right, uh let's go ahead and talk, talk about our favorite moments from this documentary. One one of my favorite moments is when they actually go into the uh I'll buy that for for a dollar guy and everything. It's like they actually filmed a lot of footage for that. I mean, and, and they show some of that in full. It's like, yeah, th those were full skits that they uh, that they made. And the uh, guy, I think, is I don't remember his name fully, but he was a radio DJ who uh, that that was actually a character that he did called like the High Marquee or something like uh -huh. that. And I'd buy that for that. a dollar. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> they even show they even show a a, a deleted version of that where uh, it's more like a pizza place or whatever, and you know the girls they're a little scantily clad and they're making pizza, and he's just being a total sleaze bag. But I mean the, the the actor he was just like oh man it was a total gas I had so much fun it was it was the most fun I ever had and and yeah Verhoeven himself he uh, directed those scenes so that that's actually my favorite scene right there. But also when they when they actually go into the Boddicker gang and they, they, uh, they introduce everybody, you know, Carl yeah. Young and Ray Vise and, uh, you know, Jesse Goins, Kurtwood Smith and all of them. It's like, that was also really cool. That, that was a couple of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to say favorite, but one of the more memorable scenes, one of the scenes that sticks out, I think is that whole like deleted scene um, where they actually uh, had, had written into the script that they that they killed a puppy, which which is just Ooh, crazy because you yeah. know they even mention it in the documentary that that was just a taboo. You just don't do that, even somewhat today. I mean, you'll actually see it today, but still, it's one of those like, you know, you don't you don't normally see children get killed, and you don't usually see animals get killed. But uh, 
Yeah, no, they they actually like did that, and apparently, you know, they had they are actually shooting into a building, and they shot that whole thing, and then uh, decided not to use it. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's that's crazy. That was crazy. Another pretty memorable scene is when they showed the deleted scene that involved the uh, liquor store robbery, where there was. Apparently, there was a, a kid involved in that, and uh, the whole thing is he takes a... Uh, oh, yeah. He, he tries to shoplift a, a, a chocolate bar. Then that whole uh, that whole robbery scene happens, and after RoboCop walks out, he uh, just pulls it out <laughs> of his jacket, and he's just like, uh, how much for this? <laughs> it's like, but but that, that kid ended up coming back uh, in RoboCop 2, actually. So Yes. Yeah, I do remember that... Um yeah, that uh, they paid him for his time too. So they they did. They know. fully paid him. It, it was something with the uh, Texas labor laws regarding uh, child labor after uh, midnight and everything. Yeah. So yeah. In conclusion, Ash, what did you think about this docu series? Oh yeah, no, it was a lot of fun because I mean, RoboCop is a lot of fun. Um, and, and just to kind of like see how the whole thing came together. And this came out now in 2023. So like the fact that they were able to get so many members of the cast and the crew um, to, together in order to, to tell that story and, um, and just looking back on it after all of these years, I, I think was really, really cool. Like, I don't know like how many documentaries have been done. I know Probably the movie's been shipped with some special features where they went into some of the behind-the-scenes content, but uh, this was really informative and thorough. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and that's what was a good idea about making this into four full, like hour-long episodes. I mean, yeah. they were able to kind of give the subject matter some breathing room so that they could actually go into all these different uh, facets of the movie, all these different aspects of how it was created. And whatnot. So, I mean, it, it was really cool to see that. And it was really cool to uh, really get into the meat and potatoes of filmmaking here. Definitely. You know, more or less. Definitely. Like, I mean, I, I, I really liked the pacing of this. I, I loved watching uh, everybody just reminisce about this movie and uh, all the cool stories that we learned in between. It, it was a lot of fun. And I'm really... And apparently on Screenbox, the same company uh, they and the same uh, directors, they've made uh, other movies. They've made other documentaries on, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, I think they did the Fright Night documentary. They, they did a bunch of other stuff that's on Screenbox, but, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed this docuseries. It was a lot of fun, and I look forward to checking out the the, uh, the other films that this uh, director, uh, that these directors have done. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, go check this movie out. It's on Screenbox right now. Uh, it, it's four episodes long. I mean, definitely go into it, uh, whether you watch RoboCop before or just going into it uh, straight up. I mean, just check this out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I watched it. I decided to watch RoboCop first to prepare for it, and I felt like that enhanced the experience, but um, yeah, if you want an excuse to to go watch RoboCop again too, you know, 
this, this is a great way to do it, um, as it was for us. And yeah, I, I just I had a I had a blast watching both the movie again and watching the docu series. I imagine a lot of people who are much more familiar with the movie um, would get a kick out of just kind of you know like like experiencing it again and remembering some things just through the telling of of uh, the behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely, but, yeah. and, and you know, in quite a few, quite a few people who uh, who have seen this movie, they watched it when they were really, really young, right. which you know they they remark upon in the at the end. They're they're just like all these people were just like my dad let me watch this when I was eight years old. It was just like <laughs> yeah, why? Like almost everybody that was in, in in the cast and the crew, they were just like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, it, it became yeah, like this, such this a, a cultural phenomenon, and it spawned a, a TV series and a, a line of uh, of toys. Just lots of of, of of merchandise, lots and lots of merchandise. Absolutely, lots of merchandise uh, for for kids. <laughs> but <laughs> lots of them for kids. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I I had some of the RoboCop toys back in the day. Believe it or not. Oh yeah, I think I think I remember uh, the first time I was exposed to RoboCop. It was actually the uh, the Ed Two Hundred Nine uh, shooting scene, which was quite bloody, even bloodier in the original. So yeah, that was my first exposure to that. But anyway, um, Ash, what's going on over at Collateral Gaming? All right, well, we are supposed to get our season premiere out this month. Should have had it earlier, um, actually supposed to record today finally but uh, I guess that didn't happen but yeah by uh, but this month we'll have out our two-part season premiere on Spider-Man PS4 uh, this is going to be a redux as we have covered the game before so it'll be fun revisiting that as well as Miles Morales in part two uh, where uh, which is a game that we covered at launch and we did a spoiler free review so it'll be cool to actually be able to get into the story now uh, and talk about uh, the entire game. And then that's setting up for uh, the release of Spider-Man 2 in late October. So uh, in October, we'll be doing like our spooky month content um, uh, and our Halloween special, of course. But then afterwards in November, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man 2. So it's all kind of building together. Um, yeah, we're coming into season six of Collateral Gaming, and I'm really excited. Uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, games to cover. I mean, especially this year. Um, like, like, even with what's left of the year, there's like four games coming out in November that I want to cover. <laughs> and we're not going to all cover them in November. <laughs> nice. um, we're going to have to play, you know, we're going to have to, uh, I've sort of planned it out uh, in a way that works best with, with what Collateral Cinema is doing as well with season seven. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for our launch of Collateral Cinema in uh, October. Yes, in October, we will be debuting our season premiere with uh, Freddy versus Jason with a little help from Stu uh, at uh, Stu SWO Productions. So that'll be nice to have him back. And then uh, the second episode will be uh, the anthology movie Trick or Treat, which uh, is Robert's pick for that. And our main Halloween episode is going to be Halloween 4. Uh, I believe it's The Curse of Michael Myers. I might be wrong there, but... 
Uh, yeah, we're gonna do Halloween four, and on the director's cut Halloween episode, I'm thinking we might do a little double feature. I'm thinking maybe uh, Bad Taste and Nailgun Massacre. So yeah, look for our uh, spooky season content coming this uh, this October, and also the beginning of season seven, which is gonna be quite interesting. We're gonna have quite a few uh, returning guests. So uh, look for that very soon. Is it number four, Return of Michael Myers, or is it Revenge? Yeah, <laughs> I, it's either Return, Revenge. I think five is Curse. I don't know. Six I'm is not curse. the Halloween ex. I'm not the I'm not the Halloween expert here. That's, That's Robert. Robert. Ha- ha- Halloween just goes too many weird places that I don't know anymore. Fair so, enough. Uh, yeah, check check that out, and we will be. Uh, we should be launching that uh, sometime, maybe in the first or second week of October. So look for that. Fuck yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited for uh, both seasons. Um, we're we're finally uh, getting the whole thing together, and uh, it's gonna be awesome, man. I'm really excited to see where our podcasts go, um, and hopefully we get more opportunities like this to check out some uh, uh, documentaries. Or, I mean, hey, if uh, Game Dev wants us to come test their game, um, or you know, or, or, or review a new indie game that just came out, like, hey, we're down. DM us. Absolutely. Uh, same here with uh, independent releases as well. We might get back into uh, to reviewing indie movies. So if you're an indie filmmaker, uh, send us your screeners. We will check them out. Definitely, definitely. Um, and you can find the Collateral Media Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Google. Uh, we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also, don't forget to check us out on Good Pods. And also, find us on uh, Buy Me a Coffee on Patreon and on Podbean Patreon if you would like to support the podcast uh, monetarily. And also, look for us on Spreadshirt. We have uh, hats, mugs, t shirts, and all kinds of collateral media swag for uh, all of our listeners. So if you want to get a t-shirt, go there. I think they're like $17.99 or something like that. Uh, help support the show. Help, help support both of our shows. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. But, yeah, I guess uh, that's it for now. I've been Absolutely. Ashley Chancellor. And I have been Bo Maddox. And... and- This is Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. And dead or alive, you're coming with me. I'd buy that for a dollar. (laughs) Laters.
Collateral Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.